Welcome to Mountain View Church Audio, coming to you from the Wilderness City, Whitehorse, Yukon. We strive to introduce people to Jesus through scripture, biblical instruction, and prayer with authenticity and vibrancy. You don't need to know anything about the Bible. Just sit back, relax, and let God do the rest. Easter weekend is just around the corner. I'm pleased to announce that we'll be hosting a number of digital and physical gatherings for both Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Before we begin today's gathering, I'd like to take a few moments to provide you with some important details. First, our Good Friday gatherings, where we remember Christ's sacrifice made on the cross to pay for the penalty for our sin. There will be two evening gatherings on April 2nd at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. Visit mountainviewwhitehorse.ca slash goodfriday for more info or to register for a spot on one of those physical gatherings. Next, Easter Sunday. We have a lot planned for Easter Sunday. And just like Good Friday, we will have both digital and physical gathering options. There will be two physical gatherings on Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11 a.m., or a mid-afternoon gathering at 2.30 p.m. Maybe you're wondering, why the mid-afternoon gathering? Why so much time between the morning and afternoon gatherings? That's because we've got something very special planned for 1 p.m. But you'll have to wait to hear from Miss Megan to find out what it's all about. Lastly, for those attending our physical gatherings, our amazing photographers, Paul Sankar and Sarah Ott, have volunteered to take Easter photos in our recording studio right here. Bring your partner or spouse, your family, or your bubble group and get your photo taken. Please remember, if you plan to attend one of our physical gatherings, space is limited. So right now, pre-register at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca under the headings Good Friday or Easter. Click the link and register. If you know of someone who does not have internet access or who might be struggling with the registration process, simply contact Cornelia in the church office and she will guide you through. We've been going through a series called The Good Samaritan, The Cost of Loving Your Neighbor. This series has been based on the parable of the Good Samaritan, one of the most well-known parables of Jesus. Many people even outside of the church know or have an idea of the Good Samaritan. Many don't even know that Jesus was actually the author of it. As we've looked at this parable, we've been looking at the deep cost, the sacrifice it takes to truly love our neighbors and what it means also to be a Christian, the deeper gospel level, kingdom level of this parable. We started by looking at the financial cost. Then last week, we looked at the physical cost. 
This week, we're going to look at the social or societal cost. And next week, we're going to look at the cultural cost. If you've missed any of these sermons, I would suggest pausing now, going back and listening to them first, because we're going to hit a lot of historical stuff today, and you're going to need those previous two messages to make sure you know what we're talking about. So once again, go to mountainviewwhitehorse.ca slash watch. That's mountainviewwhitehorse.ca slash watch. Take a look at previous episodes, the financial cost, the physical cost, and then you will be ready for today's message, the social cost. But if you are all caught up, we're going to dive in. Okay, so the social or societal cost of loving your neighbor, we need to try to figure out what it meant for Jesus to give this parable in, in this predominantly Jewish audience that the Samaritans, the hero, what did it mean on a social level? We know already from the past sermons we've talked about that, that he was a social outcast. Samaritan people were a social outcast, but maybe you've been wondering why, where did this all come from? Where did this start? When did the Jews and Samaritans start uh, hating each other? And, and how did it all begin? And, and why, why did uh, Jews despise the Samaritans so much? Why were they second class? What's it all about? When did this entire thing start? If you've never been to Bible college, today is going to feel a little bit like Bible college. We're going to be looking at a lot of references. We're actually going to be going way back into the Old Testament to Kings and Chronicles. Uh, when's the last time you were in Kings and Chronicles, even if you're a regular church attender? Okay, we don't often study in there. It's like historical records. It's really great stuff. But again, it's going to feel like Bible college. If you don't have a print Bible, you're going to want to get one. You're going to want it for this episode for this message, or download a Bible app, pause this message, download a Bible app, because you're going to want to use it today. I'm going to be going through a lot of references, a lot of content. It's going to be important, and you're going to want to keep up. Now, if you get left behind or you have further questions, don't worry about it. You can just email me and uh, or drop a message, a comment in the stream below, and you can have my notes. I can send my slides, whatever you need so that you can look back over this material. Whenever, however you want it, just let me know. All right, ready, set, go. We are going to go all the way back in history to 931 BC. 931 BC, and this whole journey starts with a civil war. A civil war uh, in the tribes of Israel. Uh, it's laid out in 1 Kings 11 to 14. And basically what happens here is the tribes of Israel get divided into two kingdoms, uh, Judah to the south, which we talked a lot about in our Habakkuk series. You can check that out if you didn't. And uh, that was under King Rehoboam. And then there was a northern kingdom, uh, which kept the name Israel under Jeroboam. Now, Judah and most of Benjamin made up the southern kingdom, just two tribes, and the rest of the 10 tribes went north. So the civil war and they were divided. Okay, I want you to get in your Bibles. I want you to go to First Kings. If you've never been to First Kings or you haven't been there in a while, it's okay. Grab the table of contents at the front. It's your friend, and it'll give you a page number. Look for First Kings. You're going to go to First Kings 14. First Kings 14. And when you get to verse 30, First Kings. 14 verse 30, and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. Okay. So this thing is 
is going on for a long time, this civil war. Ten tribes against two tribes. Can you imagine? This all starts with God's people who are supposed to, the 12 tribes following God, worshiping God, uh, following his commands and his plan for their life, and there's infighting. Maybe you're thinking, oh, wow, not much has changed. And maybe not. This is human nature, but this whole thing starts with infighting between the tribes. So now we're going to roll forward. We're going to roll forward to uh, from 931 to 910 BC. From 931 to 910 BC, this is where the Levites are rejected from the northern kingdom. In 2 Chronicles 11, 2 Chronicles 11, we learn that the tribes to the north start worshiping false gods and idols. And they actually say, you know what, you Levites and priests, uh, you've been great for a while, but we're choosing pagan gods and pagan priests and everything instead. And so you guys are going to get booted south. You can go hang out with Judah and Benjamin. We don't need you anymore. We got our own religious stuff going on. And this is hard to understand. If you can imagine, the Levites are the tribes that was uh, set out by God and, and given the responsibility by God to oversee the, the spiritual work of the people of Israel. And the Northern Kingdom was like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. So let's have a look. I want you to jump forward now in your Bibles to Second Chronicles. So if you were in First Kings, you can go forward to, it'll go First Chronicles, Second uh, Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. And when you get to Second Chronicles 11, we're going to read a, a few verses there. Second Chronicles 11. Second Chronicles 11, verses 13 to 15. It says this, And the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel presented themselves to him from all places where they lived. For the Levites left their common lands and their holdings and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons cast them out from serving as priests of the Lord. And he appointed his own priests for the high places and for the goat idols and for the calves that he had made. So this is crazy, right? We have civil war. And then between 931, 910 BC, get rid of all the priests, send them south. So there's now nine uh, nine tribes left in the Northern kingdom. And maybe you're wondering at this point, okay, what does this have to do with Jews and Samaritans and, and the feud between them? It's coming. Stay tuned. Uh, this is important background. Now between 811 and 870 BC, 811 and 870 BC, there is spiritual reforms in the South, in the Southern kingdom. The Southern kingdom had their own problems too. And if you want to know lots about that, we can go back to the Habakkuk series that we just finished. We find all about Judah and the people of Judah. They got a lot of problems going on on their own. But uh, between 811 and 870 BC, there is spiritual reforms. There's like a godly king and, and things start to improve. And we learn about this in 2 Chronicles 15. And what happens is these spiritual reforms, this uh, coming back to the Lord in the Southern kingdom, it spurs on a few tribes in the North to say, huh, you know what? Maybe things are better in the South, specifically three tribes, uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. Ephraim, Manasseh, and, and Simeon, they relocate to the Southern kingdom. So you should still be in second Chronicles and uh, you can flip over a page two or a page or two 
to chapter 15, 2 Chronicles 15. And if you look at verse 9, we read about this shift where these three tribes come down. Okay, uh, verse 9 of chapter 15 in 2 Chronicles. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them. For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Okay, so now, now we're kind of going to do a little bit of a tally here. We have in the south, right? We had Judah and Benjamin. Then the Levites got kicked out. So they're there. Now we have three more. We have Manasseh, Simeon, and Ephraim. So we got six in the south, and then we're still left with six in the north. And this is where things stand. Still a split kingdom. Israel is the name of the north, half of the people of Israel. Judah is the name of the south. Okay. Then, <laughs> then things get really, really bad. In 740 BC, in 740 BC, Assyria, a massive army uh, attacks the north and they arrive. And we learn about that in actually 2 Kings 15. 2 Kings 15, they come down, they attack the tribes that are remaining in the north and they actually start conquering the northern kingdom. Okay, so let's have a look at that. Go to 2 Kings now. Second Kings, you should be around that area, right? You're in Chronicles. Before that, you're in First Kings, so kind of meet in the middle. Okay, Second Kings, and we're going to go to Second Kings 15. Second Kings 15, verse 29. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ejon, Abel-Bethmecha, Jenhoah, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried the people captive to Assyria. All right. So not only do we have an Assyrian king coming down and taking uh, part of the northern kingdom, he's actually enslaved some people. And so now he's taking up some of the people of Israel and he's bringing them back and they're becoming slaves. Okay, and we're going to learn here soon that that actually people uh, from the Assyrian people are going to start kind of immigrating into the northern kingdom of Israel because it's a nice place. Why not? Since we own it now and we're going to start to see this mixing happen. Okay, Uh, roll forward to 722 BC, 722 BC. The Assyrians continue to conquer down further and further. We learn about in 2 Kings 17 and eventually they take the city of Samaria. Now, the city of Samaria, uh, north of Jerusalem, that is the northern kingdom capital city, Israel's capital city at that time. Jerusalem is the capital of uh, Judah. So this is the capital city. This is so important. And uh, Assyria takes Samaria. Okay, it's overtaken. And we read about that in 2 Kings 17, verses 5 and 6. 17, verses 5 and 6. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria. For three years, he besieged it. In the ninth year of Oshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria. All right, let's pause there. 
So now we, we kind of got a huge background really quick. We've got like hundreds of years in really basically 10 minutes and your heads may be spinning, but this is important context for us to fully understand the social societal setting that's going to happen and that we're going to look at in the first century when Jesus is around and giving this parable. We have, um, the Assyrians now basically run the Northern kingdom. Let's face it. They took Samaria after three years of besieging it. That's a long haul. That's a long war. Finally, they took it. Maybe you're wondering why, why would God allow the Assyrians to overtake the Northern kingdom, his people, you know, half the tribes of Israel, even to the point where they've actually taken the capital city. They run the whole thing. Why would God allow that? Why would he allow Assyria to decimate Israel? Well, if we keep reading in Second Kings, we'll actually find out why and how. Uh, we see in verses 15 to 17, check this out. Second Kings chapter 17, verses 15 to 17. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false and they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord, their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshiped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. You see, all of a sudden we, we start to understand what happened here. Remember that a little bit back in the history, who did they get rid of? They got rid of the Levites, the, the spiritual overseers of the tribe. They, the spiritual leadership, they got rid of them. Uh, they wanted to do pagan idols and religions and, and things like that. They, they had their own thoughts. They were just picking up any spirituality that they were getting. But, but listen to this, how far this got. They got so deep into dark, evil things that they were actually sacrificing their children to these idols. Now, all of a sudden we start to see they, they had not just lost focus a bit from God. They had fully gone fully entrenched into the evil of idolatry and false gods and pagan worship. And so God allows and, and brings forth judgment through the Assyrians. Let's have a look at one more verse here. Second Kings 17. We're going to scroll down a bit further here in the same chapter. We're going to go to verse 24. It says this, and the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. So we see here that not only does the king of Assyria continue to take uh, Israelites back to Syria, Babylon to be slaves that they start saying, Hey everyone, there's a great fertile land. There's this great place we just took. The city's amazing. It's called Samaria. Uh, we worked hard to get it and Hey, you know what? You want to live there? Come on in. And so this is where 
Samaria starts to get very, very, very mixed. Ethnically, racially, culturally. One author puts it this way. Further, the Assyrians began to populate Israel with people from other nations they had defeated. The descendants of these foreigners and the remnant of Israel were later simply called, quote, Samaritans. During the time of Christ, the Samaritans were despised as an unclean people because of their mixed ancestry. Another author says it this way. Centuries of intermarriage had rendered Samaria overwhelmingly Gentile and thus ethnically contaminated in Jewish eyes, deeply antagonistic toward Samaritans. To Jews, Samaritans were not simply outcasts, they were enemies. This is our starting point. Today, as we're looking at the social societal uh, breakdown between Jews and Samaritans, this history, this is really what it's all about. You see, a lot of us might go on Ancestry.com and, and maybe look at our heritage and, and uh, where we came from, the country we're from, but it doesn't mean as much as it did in the ancient world. Or, or maybe it does, but it, it, it's not as divided, maybe, uh, at least in the West. It might be in other areas of the world. But when you have this kind of history, when these are your defining markers of, of your race, of who you are, it poses a problem in the first century. Let's come back to our story. Let's come back to our parable. We're going to fast forward all the way to the first century now. Now that we have that history, we're going to go back to Luke 10, Luke chapter 10, to where our parable is. And uh, we're going to look now at the social cost. So when that Samaritan... <laughs> decided to help this Jewish man that was laying half dead, what, uh, what did he carry with him? Now that we know, and what was he thinking? How was he uh, perceiving how this would look to others? Now, I understand that this is a fictitious story that Jesus is telling the story to, to make an example, but it's important for us to understand this and, and how the audience, how Jesus' first audience would have heard this and understood this. And when they hear that a Samaritan is helping him, they understand the Samaritans and the shame uh, that they carry, the shame of their ancestry, that, that they're the part of the tribes that were, uh, that rejected the spiritual leaders. And if maybe we can understand that there, there might even be some shame in it, understanding that the dark history of where you came from. The history of your forefathers matters. And so if we look back at this parable and we look at Luke 10, 33, and, and we see, let's read it again together. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the, the Jewish man. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Think about it. This, this Samaritan, what if he was caught what if he was caught cleaning up this man? Someone might actually think that he was the one that beat him up or, or maybe he was trying to finish him off as he was down there. And, and as he traveled with this man on his donkey, did he pass anyone? And, and if he did, what would, uh, what would Jewish people think if they're like, why is that Samaritan got a half dead Jewish man on his donkey? What's he doing with him? Uh, are we starting to understand a little bit the risk that he took socially? 
Does he really want to get involved in that? Knowing what people perceive of him, knowing uh, what people perceive is kind of in his blood uh, from his ancestry, uh, that he's contaminated in a way, that he's unclean in a way because of this history uh, and and the, the cultural impact that's, that's in that people group. And it's hard for us to understand. I get it. In our world today, we can't fully comprehend it. But think about this. A Samaritan probably would never choose to get involved. If there was a Jewish man half dead, he wouldn't get involved. And because of the animosity, most Samaritans, let's be honest, probably hated the Jews. They knew how badly they looked down upon them. They knew their own history. They knew the divide. They knew how far the divide went back, way back to the civil war. They understood all that. This was a crazy decision that this Samaritan made. But wait, maybe you're thinking, what about the priest and Levite that walked by? The priest and Levite. Well, remember the history that we just studied. (laughs) This is... this is one of the first steps towards uh, the Samaritan and kind of the Northern kingdom. Remember the Northern kingdom rejected the priests and Levites, all right? They sent them south. Judah and Benjamin ended up receiving the Levitical priests and the Levites, the, the spiritual leaders, because the Northern king, re- king rejected them. Uh, funny enough that Jesus makes this amazing uh, picture that the ones who were cast out from the Northern kingdom are actually the ones that pass by the man. This is socially important. The memory, the history, Jesus choice of these two men passing by is brilliant on multiple levels. And we've already talked about a few of them, but this historic piece, this, this societal piece, the social piece is even another level who the Northern kingdom actually rejected and ended up being in the, in the land of Judah, they would pass by. And the one, the, the one who rejected the spiritual leaders would end up doing the saving work, the rescuing work. That's a beautiful picture. Jesus shows us that the Samaritan is willing to abandon his shame, the history the potential speculation from others that see him to save someone who would have never been caught saving him. He gave it all up, all the shame, the history, the speculation, the social outcast view gave it all up to save his enemy. No one would have ever helped the Samaritan. There's not one person in that crowd that would help the Samaritan none of them. And they knew that. They knew how they felt about him, about them. They knew their history. Again, the people wondering, why is the Samaritan the hero? But that's why we need to remember the original question. We need to remember the original question. Remember in verse 25, Verse 25, he said, teacher, the lawyer that initially started this whole conversation, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That is the original question. Think about this entire history. Think about Jesus' choice that the priest and the Levite are the ones that walk by. Think about the choice of the Samaritan, the Samaritan who has the heritage that's shameful, the history that's corrupt and, and, and to be honest, a history that's disgusting, sacrificing children to idols. That's the family history. 
Imagine that for a moment. Imagine that's your family history. That's got to weigh on you on some level, knowing that that's your background. But Jesus chooses that guy to be the hero, that guy to be the savior, the unlikely person, the unlikely person to have the right heart condition. You see, this is really all about the kingdom. It's about the gospel. It's about redemption. It's a beautiful picture of redemption. The Good Samaritan is a redemption story that the one who would least likely in all social standards be the one to help would be the one to help. And, and so this, this is a message to everyone. This is a message to you and to me. Don't ever think that your past defines you in light of the gospel. It doesn't matter what has been done, what you have done, what your ancestors have done, what, what stock you come from, what background you come from, that with Jesus, everyone, everyone is able to become a son or daughter of God, that everyone can enter the kingdom, that it's about your heart condition, not bloodlines, not heritage, not history, none of that. No amount of shame that you carry can keep you from the love of Jesus. And maybe you're here right now and you need to hear that. You're listening to this. And for the first time, you're realizing, I get it. The Samaritan was like the lowest of the low. He, he was like the worst one. And yet Jesus made him the hero. And that's what Jesus does. You see, Jesus transforms all the dark parts of our lives and our history. And, and he transforms it through the power of his spirit. We give our lives to Jesus we submit that we're sinful, that we do have rottenness in us. Every one of us carries it. But we submit that he took it to the cross and he paid for all that sin and rottenness, all that shame and pain. And he took it on the cross and he died, paid for it. And we trust in that. And we thank him for that. And we repent of our sin. And when he died on the cross, they put him in a grave. They put him in a tomb for three days, but he rose from the dead conquering sin and death. And we choose to believe and we choose to follow Jesus. And he removes that pain, the shame, the guilt, the sin, and he will give you a new heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit indwells you, you will have a power and you will have a heart condition to do the impossible you will be able to help those and serve those with a confidence that you've never had before. You'll be able to serve Jesus and serve fellow humanity with a boldness and a care that you've never had before. You'll realize that the things of your past don't define you with Jesus. You have a new identity in Jesus. If you would like to give your life to Jesus today, if you need a new identity, a new heart, if you have a history of pain and shame that, that is weighing you down, that you've been carrying for far too long, and it is preventing you from being the person he wants you to be, today is a fresh start. The Good Samaritan is, a, is an amazing redemption story for all of us. And maybe today you need redemption and you can choose Jesus. I'm going to pray right now. And if you would like to pray to receive Jesus, you can do that with me. You can pray the words that I'm praying and, or you can pray on your own. 
And you can make today the very first day in your spiritual journey, a, a very first day of confidence and a new heart and a security and identity based in, founded in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you'd like to do that today, you can pray with me. Dear Father, I know that I'm a sinner. As well as being a sinner, I carry a lot of pain and shame of things I've done, things done to me, and I want to lay that all down today. Like the Good Samaritan, I realize that it doesn't define me. I want to be defined by you, Jesus. Transform my heart. Send your Holy Spirit into my heart. I want to live a new life. I want to live an eternal life. I thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sin. I thank you for rising again in power and glory, defeating my sin and death. Today, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I choose to make you my identity. I see my value in you, Jesus, and nothing else, in no one else. Give me the confidence of your Holy Spirit that I might serve you and serve others for you. It's in your name I pray, amen. If you said that prayer today and if you gave your life to Jesus, please let us know. Uh, let someone know who's around you or maybe drop a comment or send us an email. Go to the website, click the connect button, uh, whatever you need to do to let us know. We want to send you a Bible and, and some other material. We want to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you. Uh, that was, if you did, the most important decision of your life. And, and I know that you are going to have um, a fire in your gut that you've never had before. And we want to be there for you as a church. You're going to feel the boldness and the confidence that, that the Good Samaritan parable points us to, that we're going to start seeing everyone as our neighbor, and we're going to start serving others for Jesus. And we want to help you do that. We want to do that as a church. So please let us know. We are so excited that you made that decision. Now, we're going to move on to discussion groups. Hopefully you're with someone or you're online with someone. You can drop a comment in the feed. We have two questions. The first question, question number one, consider Western social structures. Consider Western social structures, Western society. Who is outcast and shamed in our society? And maybe it's going to be different in your town or city than ours, but think about it. Discuss it as a group. Who's outcast? Who, who's maybe shamed? Who, who's got a history or a past as, as a person or a people group? And, and you see as you're interacting in, in your um, social circles, in your society, in your city, who's pushed aside? Identify some people. Now, after you've identified them, how will you or your household bless that person or that people group this week? You see, we can't just talk about stuff. We can't just sit around as Christians and maybe talk about the Bible and talk about maybe society and culture and not do anything. That, that's not the gospel. We need to take what we learn in here and we need to take it out to the streets. And this is your option to do this. This is your opportunity to do this. 
If you've identified a person or people group that's being pushed aside and outcast, this is our moment as a church, as Christians, to strategically bless them in the name of Jesus. So that's what I hope you do this week. All right, we're going to see you next week for the last episode of The Good Samaritan, the last message. And we're going to look at the cultural cost, the cultural sacrifice. This is related to our comforts, maybe, and our traditions, stuff that maybe we hold tightest to. Probably the hardest uh, for us who are Christians. Okay, so make sure you spread or share this link, invite someone to watch with you, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for watching.
Thanks for listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If you have given your life to Jesus today or would like to join, serve, or support Mountain View Church, please let us know. Email connect at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. That's connect at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. Lastly, feel free to connect with us through social. Just search at Mountain View Whitehorse. Have a blessed week.